There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made us free from the law of sin and death. Verse 10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 26, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And our key verse, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want to speak to you today from the theme or the title or subject of the message, The Visible Hand of the Invisible God. The Visible Hand. That which you can see of the invisible God. I dare say that most of us are familiar with the words of our text, particularly Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And even though I believe that most of us have heard these words before, I'm not convinced that we all fully understand the implication and the ramification of these profound words. When you think about life and all of its ups and downs, there are lots of things that happen to us in life that we certainly cannot call good. We suffer sometimes the loss of a loved one. We suffer illness and sickness and pain and dysfunction in our physical bodies. We hear of tragedies across uh, the nation and in different countries. And these things aren't good. They don't sound good. They don't feel good. And we would be remiss if we would call such things good. And yet the text says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And therefore, this text requires some careful examination. And it is my hope today that we will examine these verses and understand what God would have us to understand concerning 
these words of the Apostle Paul. How many of you, and you don't have to answer out loud, have ever had something happen to you that took you by surprise, that seemed contradictory, or that was the very opposite of what you felt should have happened? I am certain that many times in life, we've experienced things that have set us back, things that have puzzled and perplexed us. They happen to us, and we don't understand why. But our text says we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. To illustrate today's message, we'll be looking at the life of a man by the name of Joseph. There are many persons in the Bible whose name is Joseph. I'm referring to Joseph, the son of Jacob in the Old Testament. Joseph is an important figure in the book of Genesis. His function is to explain how Israel, whose name later was changed uh, from Jacob to Israel, how Israel came to Egypt. He's not only uh, Jacob's son, but the Bible says that he is Jacob's favorite son. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he later becomes the vizier or the highest ranking political advisor or what you and I might call a prime minister in the Middle East. He was given a very high-ranking position in uh, Egypt. His story has always fascinated me, and there are many lessons that we can learn when we study the life of Joseph. His life will be used today to help us to understand the words of the Apostle Paul. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The life of Joseph is a primary example of what theologians call providence. Now, these are terms that we may not use on a regular basis, and so I want to set uh, a framework for you. When I use the word providence today, I'm talking about those events, those things that happen where we happen to be at the right place at the right time and things that we think perhaps would not have normally occurred, they somehow occur. Some people call it fate, but I would like to think of it as providence. Providence, again, is like the combination of two English words, uh, pro and video. It's literally seeing beforehand. The Bible teaches us that God knows all things. He knows the past, the present, and the future. 
Nothing is hidden from God. God knows all. He sees all. He upholds all. He governs all. He directs all. He does all of this all the time. Nothing takes God by surprise. And therefore, the doctrine of providence teaches us that God cares even about the most intricate details of our lives. The Bible says that not a sparrow falls to the ground without him knowing it. And a sparrow is is a bird, a rather insignificant bird in some respects, just a common, ordinary bird that flies in the air, and yet the Bible says not one of them fall to the ground without God's knowledge. The Bible says that God keeps track of the stars. He knows them all by name. There's nothing then that escapes God. He even knows the very number of hairs on our head. These verses that I'm referencing help us to understand that there's nothing too small or nothing too great for our God. He knows all things. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's sovereign. He has all power. He has all authority. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. With this as a background, I want us to consider the story of Joseph. In fact, if you turn in the Old Testament to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, you'll find some interesting information concerning Joseph. Genesis chapter 37. Again, we'll just use this as a backdrop. This passage of scripture will be our roadmap for understanding the visible hand of the invisible God. Genesis chapter 37, beginning with verse 1, says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Now, we're going to come back to some of the details here. I wanted to read those verses just to sort of get you uh, familiar with Joseph. Joseph was the youngest son of Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel. Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Midianites. 
he was sold again, this time to a man by the name of Potiphar. And he was in Potiphar's house and the activities that occurred in Potiphar's house are recorded in Genesis chapter 39. Again, in your leisure, you may want to read some of these verses to gain an even greater understanding of the text. Joseph, the Hebrew slave, became Egypt's prime minister. He was the son of Jacob. He was called his favorite son. He was despised by his brothers and he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. But in Genesis chapter 50, if you turn there, we have some interesting conversation between Joseph and his brothers, which also illustrates our message even further today. Genesis chapter 50. I'll read verses 15 through 20. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren, and for their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And he said to his brethren, and he went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is today to save much people. Let me explain these verses. Joseph's brethren came to Joseph and asked him to forgive them for the evil that they had done to him. They were not sure if Joseph was going to forgive them or if Joseph was going to hold their sin against them. And Joseph said to them, you thought evil against me. What you did was evil, but God meant it for good. Because of what you did, this evil thing, God has brought about the salvation of many. You meant it for evil, 
but God meant it for good. How could Joseph utter such words after what happened to him? This is what our message is about today. You meant me evil, but God meant it for good. Both statements are true, and both statements have great ramifications for the believer. Joseph saw what I call the invisible hand of God at work in his life. He saw God at work, even though what had happened to him was done out of spite, out of jealousy. It was done with no good intention by his brothers. Joseph saw the hand of God. He saw the providential hand of God. He was where he needed to be. He was where God wanted him to be. Even though his brothers sold him into slavery with an evil intent. They meant evil, but God meant it for good. At the right moment, his brothers threw him into this uh, cistern. At the right time, the Midianites came along. At the right moment, he was sold to Potiphar to become his slave. At the right time, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. At the right time, he met the baker and the cupbearer. At the right time, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. At the right moment, Pharaoh called for him. At the right moment, he was promoted to prime minister. At the right moment, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt. At the right moment, they met Joseph. And at the right moment, Jacob's family moved to Egypt. And at the right moment, Pharaoh offered them the land of Goshen. It was all done by God's divine plan. How do we process this? What might we as Christians learn from this particular episode in Joseph's life? Well, it lets us know that we can trust God no matter what the circumstances of life seem to be at any given point in time. I'm reminded of a hymn that was written by the late Bishop Charles Price Jones. I never knew Bishop Jones personally, but I, I know his history. He is the founder of a church that I was once uh, affiliated with on two different occasions. He pastored the church called the Mount Helm Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi in the late 1890s. Of course, I wasn't around then, but Bishop Jones or Pastor Jones at that time was the pastor of the Mount Helm Baptist Church. He was a great songwriter and hymnologist. And he wrote a song called I'll Trust Him Just the Same. He says, my hopes are placed on high. All other hopes are vain. Yea, though at times God seems not nigh. 
I'll trust him just the same. Yea, though my friends may scorn and troubles make me mourn, I'll seek in tears his lovely face and trust him just the same. The song that Bishop Jones wrote was based upon this belief that even though what he was going through in his life at the time was something that he could not understand, even though what was happening to him at the time seemed discouraging, seemed to be a setback, he was confident that God was up to a greater good. God had a greater purpose. And even though what was happening to him might have been described as bad, it really was God's way of bringing good into his life. The invisible hand, or the visible hand, shall I say, of the invisible God. I believe today that there is someone listening to this message who is going through a very difficult time in your life. Things are happening to you. Things have happened that you just can't quite understand. And you're wondering, where is God? Does he love me? Does he care about me? If he does, why are these things happening to me at this time? This is the way Joseph viewed it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. When the Apostle Paul wrote the words of our text in Romans 8.28, he was describing the true believer and the blessed assurance that the true believer has. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let me try to uh, help you to see this message. Paul did not say that everything that happens in life is good. No, he didn't say that. But he said, we know that all things work together for good. The literal translation of Romans 8.28 is that God works all things together for good. For the good of those who love him. For the good of those who are the called according to his purpose. Let me uh, do a little word study with you here. The word work. The word work has many definitions. Some of us think of our jobs, our occupations, our uh, vocations, and that's truly what work means. But the word work also has the meaning that it, it's uh, in opposition to idleness. There's not a star in the sky that does not serve the purpose of God. You and I may not understand the purpose, but God does. So the word work has one uh, connotation 
It's the opposite of idleness. Nothing happens in life idly. Nothing happens by happenstance. Everything in life that happens to the believer happens because all things are working together for good. Now, I'm not a pharmacist, and I I certainly cannot prescribe medication. But I have a basic understanding that the pharmacist combines various uh, products together to create a, 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 a pharmaceutical prescription. The things that go into those prescriptions, no doubt, by themselves would be quite detrimental. But when mixed together in the right proportion, work together for our good. And Paul is saying that God takes these various ingredients, these various events and circumstances of our lives, and he works them, he mixes them, he orchestrates them in such a way that in the end, we are all the better. Paul is not saying that God is the author of evil, for he's not. Joseph said, you meant it for evil. When you sold me into slavery, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. Now, when you think about Joseph, if you know his story, in many respects, Joseph is to blame to some degree for the things that happened to him. Genesis 37 says that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was the son uh, of his old age. Jacob had many wives, and the Bible never ordained that a man have multiple wives. But this was a practice that occurred in the Middle East, and Jacob had many wives. And there was a time in Genesis 37 when Joseph was talking with his father. And he says in verse, going back to Genesis 37, that he brought to his father their evil report. Joseph was what you and I might call a a tattletale. He would go and tell his father the things that his brothers were doing. And they did not like him for that. He would always tell his father about some of their mischievous ways. And the Bible says that Israel, with Jacob, loved Joseph, verse 3, Genesis 37, more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably concerning him. So what we have here, we got two different dynamics going on. You've got Jacob, who's showing favoritism to his youngest son, Joseph. And you've got his brothers, who are jealous and uh, not pleased with this. 
And then Joseph turns around and he tells his brothers a dream that he has. He tells them how he's going to become like a prime minister. He's going to rule over them. And and they didn't want to hear that. And so you've got that dynamic going on. Is it good? No, it's not good. Is it of God? No, it's not of God. But what happened is God took this evil situation and brought good out of it. Paul says we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a design and an intention for the life of every believer. Even though we ourselves cannot always see or know what God is doing. And this is illustrated most vividly in the life of Joseph. Joseph's brothers devised a plot. They said, we're going to get rid of him. We're going to get rid of this dreamer. We're going to put him in his place. And so they devised the plot and the scheme. And they sold Joseph into slavery. And one day, years later, when the family was facing great starvation, they found that they needed help. And the person to whom they turned for help was their youngest brother, Jacob, whom they had sold into slavery. God knows all things. The Christian understands that God is in control of all things. So all things work, all things serve, all things serve God's purpose. If you remember in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah. Elijah, the prophet, had prayed that it would not rain on the earth. And the Bible says it did not rain for three and a half years. But as a result of his prayer, the brook that was providing water for him dried up. That's not good. Without water, without uh uh, refreshment, his own body would soon uh, perish. The brook dried up. But then what God did is God sent raven, God sent wild birds to feed him. And God provided for him even in the time of great desolation. Sometimes things happen to us. In and of themselves, they don't seem good. In and of themselves, they aren't good. But God takes those things that we think are bad and brings about his own divine purpose. He brings about good. So when Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, 
to those who are the called according to its purpose. He's describing the visible hand of the invisible God. I don't know what you personally are going through. I don't know what you personally have experienced or will experience. But I'm certain that there have been events in your life, even this past year, that have not been so pleasant. Things that have happened to you that you wish didn't happen. Situations and circumstances uh, have happened that make you wonder if God really loves you. But sooner or later, somewhere down the road, we will see the visible hand of the invisible God. And this is, I believe, what Paul is talking about when he says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. This is then not a promise for everybody. It's a promise for those who love God, for those who are walking in obedience to him. It's a promise for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Again, there are a lot of theological terms I could use. I could talk about what theologians call election and that's a whole topic in itself, but it talks about how God predetermines, how God knows beforehand, how God orchestrates. And it's not so much that God orchestrates, it's that God knows. He knows all things. And because he knows all things, he is able to see things before they happen. Paul says, we know. That all things work together for good. Uh, in conclusion, let me do a little more word study. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good. The idea here is that all things, when taken collectively, all things, when viewed through the lens of God's divine purpose. All things, when mixed together, when brought together, when understood from God's viewpoint, will work for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. What does he mean? Well, he means that God knows what is best for us. Earlier in Romans 8, Paul says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit prays and makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And in that passage, Paul wants us to understand that sometimes we ask God for things that if he gave them to us, they would be to our detriment. But God, in his wisdom and in his infinite knowledge, 
overlooks what we ask, and he yields himself to the Holy Spirit. God's invisible hand is made visible when we look back through the circumstances of our lives and see the good that he intended. All things work together for good to those who love God. Sometimes, excuse me, our suffering is a result of our own doing. Joseph's own actions toward his brother contributed to their reaction to their selling him into slavery because of his own doings. There may be someone here today. You're involved in a family feud. Maybe there's some conflict between you, your brothers, your sisters. Maybe there's some uh, something brewing, shall we say, that's causing you to have animosity toward your brother or toward your sister. The word of God today would urge us to let brotherly love continue. To not slander, to not speak evil against your brother or sister. But speak only that which is good. Joseph spoke evil against his brothers. And as a result of that, they turned against him. But God, in his infinite wisdom, used that terrible event to bring about good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Learn to look (coughs) for God's hand in everything, even those things that you and I don't consider to be pleasant could be the very situation that God uses to bring about his divine purpose. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Are you trusting God? Are you trusting his sovereign plan for your life? The evil that Joseph experienced in the hand of his brothers was heart-wrenching. But it was nothing compared to the evil that our Lord Jesus Christ experienced. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Sinful men nailed our Savior to the cross. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Those who crucified Christ thought that they were getting rid of the Savior. They thought that they were putting an end to his claims of divinity. They thought that if we nail him to this cross, we won't have to deal with him anymore. But the Bible said that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you're here today and you're experiencing what you might consider to be a series of misfortunes, a series of events that are occurring in your life that just do not add up. Could it be that God wants to take those disjungled or those disassociated uh, events and bring them together for his good? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. <laughs> I'm going to ask our chaplain to extend an invitation and maybe he can, in the invitation, help to un help you to understand the depth of this message today. We know that all things work together for good, that God works good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Chaplain Malcolm.